Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news of the world of commercial aviation. This week we're back home and here's what we've got for you. Coming up today, Tom will give us the roundup of the Dubai Air Show while I look at an unusual arrival in Antarctica. I'll see what's next for the Boeing 777X while Joe looks at Russia's homegrown narrowbodies. Finally, Tom will take a look at how Fly Dubai is faring one year after starting flights to Tel Aviv. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I wanted to dive right in. I'm not going to spend the whole time talking about... Well, I'm going to kind of spend the whole time talking about Dubai Air Show, but not directly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought I would just start by talking about Dubai Air Show directly. So, um, you know, on Thursday, probably a week um, ago, if you're listening to this when it comes out... Um, you know, the air show ended and it was obviously a huge occasion, but it's actually quite impressive how well the OEMs did because, you know, it seemed to you and me like it was a really slow air show. At the beginning it, it did. And then we yeah. had like a mad day um, mm. and then another mad day and then a bit of a whimper at the end. But uh, it was, yeah, it was good. So... Airbus really stole the show, I thought, in terms of orders. They had a total of, um, well, they had more than 400 orders uh, for commercial aircraft. They had 408 in total, and 404 of those were commercial aircraft. So, (laughs) um, four non-commercial aircraft. Um, But yeah, you know, we had the Indigo Partners order on uh, day one for 255 jets. And then we had the ALC order for 111, including seven A350 freighters. Um, And then the last sort of orders for Airbus were placed on the third day of the show with Jazeera Airways getting um, 28 Airbus A321neos and um, Nigeria's Ibom Air firming up for 10 A220s. So Mm -hmm. no orders on the fourth or fifth days for Airbus. Um, You know, Boeing kind of stole the show with their 777X, but I'll talk a bit more about that later. Um, They didn't manage to book any orders for that aircraft, though. You know, they... Their orders were much more sort of freighter focused to start from. On the first day, they booked 11 converted 737-800 freighters. And then um, on the second day, DHL Express ordered 9767-300s, although that was before the air show even opened. So I'm not sure if we can count them in the official figures. Um, <laughs> it was announced during also, the air show, though. So we'll, during we'll the week of the air show. Give them the not, benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Um, we also saw Emirates ordering two 777 freighters. And I know... Um, Tim Clark said that he actually wanted more than two, but Boeing couldn't give them to them. (laughs) Um, To wrap things up, though, um, the third day was a lot more intense for Boeing, even though it's not quite as big as um, Airbus. But, you know, um, Sky One FZE purchased free 777-300s. Air Tanzania then just bought a bit of everything with a 787, (laughs) a 767 freighter and two 737 Maxes. That was a mad order, wasn't it? I mean, like, Mm. oh, we'll just have one of every kind, please, Airbus. (laughs) Yeah, a Boeing. Boeing, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, they just didn't order the 747 (laughs) or the 777. Um, And then finally, you know, on the last day, they also got that order from Akasa Air for 72 uh, 737 MAX aircraft. So Mm. when you kind of look at the score, it's actually pretty interesting because, um, you know, Airbus uh, clocked 404 commercial aircraft orders. Um, Boeing got one-fourth of that with 101. But both of the OEMs beat their 2019 figures. Um, So Airbus only shipped, uh, ordered, did orders for 220 aircraft in 2019. Mm. And Boeing 
managed um, 97. So it was about double this year for Airbus and um, four more for Boeing. But it's still impressive considering, you know, we've got the whole years we've had. pandemic stuff and yeah. all this um, to see that they've both come out better. And I think it was more um, quantity versus variety this time because, you know, last time I feel we had lots of sort of smaller orders, whereas this time it was just very a uh, few very big headline orders yeah i mean it was great to see any orders at all and i do think it was maybe helped slightly by the fact there was no paris straight farnborough this year yeah um which so would have soaked up like probably quite a few up. of the orders so maybe they kind yeah. of put things back so they could announce some stuff but uh, it wasn't just them you know embraer got some orders as well and atr um mm. you know so all around it was a pretty good air show um although i have to say it was super super hot <laughs> i've complained yeah. about this non-stop um the whole time we were there but now i'm back in the freezing uk I just wish I was back in Dubai. <laughs> yeah, send me back. <laughs> Absolutely. So I wanted to um, kick off today not talking about Dubai um, and talking about Ooh. something a bit colder. <laughs> I am going to come back to Dubai shortly, though. So, uh, yeah. But we're going to start my, um, my segment with um, a trip to Antarctica. So you can't get much colder than that. Um, and, and actually... I mean- you can't see Joe right now, but it looks like she's actually recording this from Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm refusing to put the heating on for more than four hours a day because it's so expensive <laughs> in the UK at the moment. So I'm sitting here in my scarf and my bobble hat um, and I'm actually quite toasty, which is great. Anyway, um, Portuguese wet lease specialist, one of Simple Flying's favourites, Highfly, um, has become the first company ever to land an A340 in Antarctica. Um, so the flight was actually piloted by Captain Carlos Mirapuri, who is, um, I believe, chief commercial officer at Highfly. He's the brother of the guy that owns the whole company anyway, um, and a crew. And they flew from Cape Town to the frozen continent. It was actually at the start of this month on November the 2nd, using an A340 registered 9H Sol. Um, it's actually uh, quite an interesting aircraft, but I'll come back to that in a minute. So um, the reason that Highfly was doing this service was for a company called White Desert. Now, we've interviewed this company before for Simple Flying, um, they do some incredible sort of once-in-a-lifetime bucket list trips down to Antarctica where you can kind of stay in a tent and do some amazing mm. expeditions and help with some research. Um, and normally they use a Gulfstream 550, um, which has a pretty good kind of payload versus flying range um, qualities. Um, but earlier, I think it was last year or earlier this year, they told us that they were keen to get an A340 to do these operations because that would allow them not only to take fewer trips, which is better for the environment, but also to offer seating capacity to um, scientists working on the bases as well as the tourists that they're flying out mm. there themselves. So, you know, altogether a more environmentally friendly way of doing things than doing loads of trips with the Gulf Stream. Um, so they contracted Highfly to begin services. And on the 2nd of November, um, 9H Sol was transporting kind of the first load of cargo down there for them to set up their base, put the tents up, all the catering facilities and things like that. Um, now, 9H Sol was actually one of the aircraft that Highfly converted to a Praetor. So okay. um, originally it was um, configured with 36 business class seats and 218 economy seats. But at the start of 2020, amid this kind of surge in demand for cargo, they ripped out all the economy seats and just left 24 passenger seats and loads of space for cargo, which obviously was great during the pandemic. But it's also great for White Desert because... 
Now they can fly all their complex equipment. Um, and actually, all the passenger seats were full with staff from White Desert, um, as well as um, all the support equipment for the tourist season. So it mm. flew for five hours and 10 minutes down, and it was five hours and 20 minutes to go back again. But there, of course, there's no refueling facilities at the Wolf Fang runway. Um, it's just a yeah. blue ice runway. You know, there's really nothing there. Uh, so they had to tanker over enough fuel for the return trip, which they said added about 77 tonnes. But of course, you know, the A340 big old quad jet is uh, more than capable of doing that. Um, mm. So the, the weather was apparently perfect, which is obviously necessary when you're flying into such a harsh environment. Um, they, they have to look at the forecast so close to the time because it can change so quickly in Antarctica. And if there's zero visibility, obviously you cannot just be trying to land yeah. an A340 on a blue ice runway. Um, and just before they're, as they're approaching the runway, I found this really interesting. They, the airport or runway <laughs> operator, I guess, uses a specialist car to actually travel the whole length of the runway and takes measurements of the friction at different positions along the runway and feeds all that okay. back to the crew so they can kind of do some calculations to see if it's safe to see if they're going to be able to stop the plane um, they decided they could and they landed um, successfully apparently it was a textbook job um, the company shared some really cool images and i believe there's a video floating around on youtube as well of the landing um, so it's the first a340 in Antarctica, but it's going to be going back and forth quite a lot. It's um, it's being employed by White Desert for the whole tourist season, which is basically from now until like the end of February. Um, so it's going to be kind of shuttling between Cape Town and Antarctica with all the supplies, with the tourists and the scientists, of course, as well. Um, mm. So yeah, do check out the article on Simple Flying and have a look on YouTube for the video because it's really, really cool to see such a big plane on one of those blue yeah. ice runways. Yeah, it is. And, you know, another big plane that maybe we might see down there one day, I guess, but a long day from now is the 777X, which is my new bestie. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite the A380. I can't quite let her go yet, but close. Fair um, enough. <laughs> but yeah, you know, we saw it. Um, we talked about it a bit last week. Um, you know, what I found was interesting was that Boeing kind of indicated that the 777-8 may have to wait until the 777X freighter has come around. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this wasn't just Boeing indicating this. It was also Emirates, I think, to you. So, um, you yeah, know, the aircraft, is, the aircraft is finally up in the skies now. You know, it uh, flew out to uh, Dubai nonstop 15 hours, which I think is its longest flight yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it flew back via uh, Doha and Frankfurt, stopping off at Qatar Airways and Lufthansa. Um, but, you know, Airbus released its A350 at the show, and it seems logical that Boeing wants to tackle it. And I think they're already sort of thinking about it because people, you know, many customers have sort of said, oh, yeah, we'd love a freighter 777X. Um, it was really interesting because Boeing's vice president of commercial sales and marketing said that the 777-8 is an airplane that is part of the 777 family. Um, so, you know, they've had, they haven't ditched it because, you know, Tim was suggesting we never, might never get it um, before. But mm. he also said we've always looked at it as the second or third mm. in the family in terms of when it comes to the market. Um, second to the 777-9, potentially third, if we do the freighter, we don't yet know. Okay. Which I thought was fascinating because, you know, then it's clearly on their minds that perhaps the freighter will come before the Dash 8. Mm. Um, and it was interesting because I know um, Emirates said, or Tim Clark, president of Emirates, said in a roundtable that you were at that um, 
he's aware that it's likely that um, the freighter will come first, but you'd have to check with Boeing that the yeah. 777-8 will be pushed back. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not quite sure what would come first, but uh, once they've got the thing flying, the decision that Boeing will take um, will be made. Mm. So um, I think, you know, that's obviously going to be their key uh, focus right now is to actually get it certified and get it yeah. being delivered to customers. And then we'll yeah. find out what they're doing next. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was the freighter. Yeah, I wouldn't be either. And, you know, like airlines are showing that they want it because, um, you know, when it was in Doha on its way to back to Seattle, Qatar Airways CEO Akbar Al-Baker revealed that he would be keen to order such an aircraft. And then um, when it was at Lufthansa, Karsten Spohr made similar comments, you know, it and, you know, it just seems like the right thing because there is clearly demand for the 777 freighters and, you know, the seven eight the seven four seven program is being wrapped up. Um, they're going to need something to replace it. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Um, it was interesting though because um, you know Clark has been very critical of delays to the program of late. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. Critical, I feel like, is an understatement of the year. Um, <laughs> but he did say, I think, also in your roundtable, I was listening back to it that they're not moving away from the triple seven X. No, he's keen for it, it seems, but. You know, I think people don't understand just how precision maintained yeah. that big fleet at Emirates is. You know, they mm. they had literally retirements and, and, you know, planes coming to the end of their lease and being removed from the fleet almost to the day planned out for like the next 10 years. And then Boeing turns around and says, sorry, the 777X is two, three years delayed. Everything yeah. has to be shifted back. Everything has to be moved around. You know, that's like months of planning just thrown out the window, basically. And yeah. um, it's interesting. This is why we're seeing the massive rollout of the premium economy product and the new business class product on the 777s um, and the premium economy on more A380s because he knows mm. that he's going to have to keep those planes for longer. You know, those older ones were ones that should have been re- reaching a retirement age and ready to retire as the 777X came in. But now, you know, he's looking two years time at least until the first Mm. one arrives so everything's having to be juggled around I don't mind if the A380 sticks around a little bit longer (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you've got any worries he still hasn't taken delivery of his last two so they're going to be around for some years to come (laughs) I'm patiently waiting and I want to fly on one of them (laughs) we'll see we'll see Tom so I wanted to um, go back to Dubai. Um, I wish I could go back we to Dubai. We haven't left Dubai. Well, I had. I'd been to Antarctica <laughs> and I'm feeling even colder now. So I'm and going back to, Dubai, back to Dubai, Dubai for a bit of a warm up. <laughs> so for me, I love an unusual aircraft and uh, I was really excited to see the Russian planes. The 777X. <laughs> no, <laughs> the Russian planes. Um, so uh, Rostec, which is the parent company of United Aircraft Corporation, um, which kind of is the conglomerate that used to be all the different Russian aircraft manufacturers, they brought two planes to the Dubai Air Show. Um, The Mm. first one that I was excited to see was the MC-21. And this is the first time it's ever been shown outside Russia. And it was complete with its PD-14 Russian-made engines. Mm. Um, You know, actually looking at it, it does look like a good competitor to the Max and the Neo. You know, compared to Airbus, actually the cabin is wider and it's taller. And that means that you can kind of just get a nice wide aisle. The aisle was incredible. Tom, you came on Mm. the tour with me what did you think of it yeah you know like i thought i thought it was pretty incredible i'm still very aware obviously that it's a production um yeah thing but you know i thought it was 
it was just crazy seeing all these things like there was a little um, hole in the floor that pilots can jump out with a parachute if they need to. And, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I just love seeing all the recording stuff in these aircraft for like testing purposes. Um, yeah, this was very yeah, much the certification aircraft. So it's yeah. got all the all the gadgets on it, not a full cabin, but they had put some seats on to show you kind of yeah. what it would be like. Um, and you'd have your nice 18-inch wide seats and still room to walk past a trolley in the aisle, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, yeah. But I managed to have a sit down with Victor Kladov, who is um, one of the vice presidents of Rostec, um, to talk about kind of how things have been going, particularly with these new engines. And he explained a little bit about why they moved away from Pratt & Whitney. Um, and basically the situation was that they were very happy with the Pratt & Whitney engine option. Um, but mm. then the whole project got delayed because um, they, they wanted to go into serial production back in 2019. But about six months before that, the US placed sanctions on a small company in Europe that supplied composite thread to the manufacturer. Um, this thread is used in making the composite wing. So they mm. couldn't proceed with the production, obviously, because they couldn't make the wings. Um, and it delayed the program by about two years. So um, Rostec invested into R&D. They set up their own plant in Russia. And now the wings are 100% Russian-made composite material. Um, you mm. know, and I think it taught the company something of a lesson that they can't be 100% dependent on, you know, international products. It's still a very politically sensitive part of the world and they need to yeah. kind of be more self-reliant. So now the MC-21 is a more Russian aircraft. It's got Russian engines. It's got a Russian composite wing. Um, and they're starting this kind of Dubai air show is launching a big marketing push in the Middle East and in Southeast Asia where they'll be taking it around. Um, mm. He said particularly the Middle East is a very important market. They've had a lot of interest from airlines there apparently. Um, and he reckons that, you know, further down the line, they could even be looking to set up an MC-21 production base in the Middle East. So we'll be interesting to see that. So the second aircraft that they had was the um, Sukhoi Superjet, um, but the private jet version. Uh, now, we tried our very best, but we could not get a tour on that. They had far too yeah. much interest, I guess, from people that might actually want to buy it. Um, mm. So they, as much as we tried, they, they wouldn't let us go on it because there was always some sort of rich person on it. Um, mm. But I did get to chat again to Victor Kladov about the type. Um, so the SSJ100, which is the, the passenger version that's around at the moment, there's been just a over 300 orders and 147 planes delivered, but most of them are in Russia. They're flying you know, Aeroflot, Azimuth, Yamal Airlines, for example. Yeah. Of course, they're not the only ones. For example, Interjet ordered 30. It took delivery of 22 before it entered Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Um, CityJet took delivery of seven, but they're all in storage at the moment due to COVID. Armavia mm. took delivery of one and then went bankrupt. <laughs> so they haven't oh, no. had the best time outside of Russia. Um, it seems mm. like a combination of bad luck, bad timing and problems with the supply chain. Um, you know, they can't control things like airlines going bankrupt and the whole issue of 2020. Um, but, you know, some of the issues, particularly with Interjet, for example, the problems were established way before 2020. Um, yeah. Kladov told me that they were logistical hiccups, which I think is a nice way of saying they just couldn't get the damn parts they needed. Um, and, you know, Interjet were quite clear about that. that it, was, it was public knowledge that they couldn't get replacement engines or replacement parts for the engines, so the aircraft had to be grounded. And mm. part of this was because, again, foreign companies were reliant for the part supply. Rostec had no control over the process of supplying parts to these airlines. So, 
in order to kind of rectify this and give the SSJ more appeal outside of Russia, um, they've been planning for a while now, the SSJ new, uh, which literally SSJ-NEW new. Um, so it's not kind of as dramatic as a CO to a NEO transition. It's more like mm. a mixed breed into a, a pedigree, if you like. So mm. the key target is to replace as much of the foreign-made components of the SSJ with Russian-built systems. Um, so, for example, at the moment, it pl- flies with the Powerjet SAM 146 engine, which is made in partnership with Safran in France. Um, so that's going to be pulled out. That's going to be replaced with Russian-made PD-8 engines. Um, but overall, the company is going to replace 97% of the foreign made components with Russian alternatives. Um, And Kladov believes this will make the SSJ, um, it it means it can leave Russia with a solid maintenance and parts fulfillment strategy in place, which clearly will make it much more appealing to airlines that aren't in Russia um, if they know they can get the parts for it. So he didn't really want to say when the SSJ knew would be ready. I think he's hoping kind of end of next year, beginning of the year after, we'll start to see some um, certification business going on. Um, but it mm. could make the SSJ a more appealing aircraft, which it should be. I think it's a great little plane. Mm. Well, sticking in Dubai, I think um, we might as well stay there now that we're there. Um, <laughs> I got the chance to sit down inside Fly Dubai's wonderful new Max aircraft. And I was really excited because it was my first time stepping onto a Max. Um, haven't actually flown on a Max still, but I've now been on two. Um, and, you know, like I, so I, I boarded this Fly Dubai Max and who would I find in the emergency exit rows? Uh, none other than the airline's CEO, uh, Guy Falgaif. And, you know, absolutely lovely chap. Uh, we chatted for half hour about, you know, Fly Dubai, what's happening, the Max, all these fun stuff, the new business class. Um, what I found really interesting, though, was that... Um, Al Gaif sort of revealed to me that the airline has fully recovered. He said, I'm not surprised. You might be, but we've fully recovered as far as Fly Dubai is in terms of the number of flights and the number of passengers that we're carrying. We're actually really doing a little bit better because the yield is expected is a little bit higher. Um, and, you know, it's crazy. I looked in um, at a, with our friend Sirium at their December plans, and they've got over three, almost 3,200 rotations planned for December. So over 6,400 flights when you sort of add them all together both ways. Um, you know, some destinations haven't returned yet because um, Al Gaif told me we're not flying to as many flights. Um, we're not flying as many flights to some destinations because not all countries are open, um, which also gives you that much positive, uh, that much more positive look moving forward as more countries open. Um and he added that we guessed a few months ago that for this winter, Dubai will be the only games in town because all the countries are closed, we're open. Our government did a fantastic job dealing with the pandemic. So we added a lot of capacity and opened as many routes as we can. Um, that's what's now giving them the ability to say we're actually carrying more passengers, flying more aircraft and operating more flights, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was really f- fascinating. But then we sort of dived a bit deeper because, you know, obviously um, a year ago on Friday, uh, Tel Aviv um, or Fly Dubai became the first commercial operator at Tel Aviv. And when you look at the numbers for Fly Dubai and Tel Aviv, it's outstanding, you know, Um the airline has 123 rotations planned for Tel Aviv in December, which makes it the joint most served air- airport on the airline's route network. Karachi and Pakistan is also getting 123 rotations. Um, but it's it's also impressive when you look at just Tel Aviv, um, its routes to other countries, because... Um, 
partly because of Fly Dubai, but also because of other carriers. Um, Dubai is the top airport destination from Tel Aviv for um, the whole of 2021, um, actually. It's had 1,414 rotations scheduled by all five carriers on the routes. And um, the second destination in terms of flights is JFK in New York with just 1,181 rotations. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's crazy that a year ago this route wasn't being served and now it is Tel Aviv's top route. That's really Um, impressive. You know, it really shows that. And um, it's interesting because even if you look at, obviously, it's the top route with all five carriers serving it. But if you look at sort of the routes per carrier, um, Fly Dubai from uh, Tel Aviv to Dubai is the second most behind uh, Turkish Airlines from um, Tel Aviv to Istanbul. So, you know, Fly Dubai is like a key part of this success story of the um, the Tel Aviv-Dubai route. And, you know, um, Al Ghaif told me that during the last year, it was one of the major accomplishments as an airline because they were the first to operate flights and that the majority of demand is being driven by tourists coming from Israel. And I guess you know, that is the case, you know, these people haven't been able to travel on this route. Mm. Um, So you've got this, I I don't want to call it a backlog, but there's suddenly so much potential and maybe it will settle down a bit over time. All this pent up demand we keep hearing about. Yeah, it's just um, insane that I, I, I can't get my my head around the numbers, given that this wasn't even a viable route a year ago. Um, and now it's the top route from Tel Aviv. That's really cool. Good for them. Mm. Yeah. And I was exactly. I was sad I didn't get to check out the Max because uh, it left a day early. And, mm. uh, so I never got to see inside the Max. But you did. And I'm sure you'll do yeah. a photo tour at some point or something, won't you? Well, I also got on the uh, Eco Demonstrator Max, which was quite nice. cool. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, that was more just like, a wow, this is cool to look at because I know our colleagues have already done a very good job on reporting that. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm sorry that we have to say goodbye to Dubai. I don't think we can continue talking about it in next week's podcast because... Uh, Try me. <laughs> maybe we will. Maybe we will. But uh, for today, I think that's about all we've got time for. We do hope you enjoyed it and welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.